Nation Nail Salon and Grocery Store. Wait, she's at the nail salon and the grocery store? I'm at the Combination Nail Salon and Grocery Store. Groceries through Instacart, delivered to my door. I don't have to choose between acrylics and the grocery store. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. As much as I think we all need more sick days and paid leave at work, I think what we also need is some, like, little guy days. You know? Like, I'll be there. I'll log in. I'll do my job. But I'm just going to be a little guy all day. Hey, fun fans, it's We Enjoy, rounding out our uh, rounding out and wrapping up our Guy Pierce run with the proposition in today's main event. We have the Mattitude, Eric. I'm Matt Fowler. Say hello, Eric Goldman. Hello, everyone. I uh, I did the, the good old cough on my intro, but I muted. I, I'm quick on that mute. <laughs> yeah, but I saw you do it. I saw you cough. <laughs> yeah, I saw he you. did. <laughs> and I, I'm really happy that you actually covered your mouth, even though you're alone in that room. That's fine. It's true. <laughs> Yeah, no, it is good, right? Because I've I've prepped myself. I just it's uh, you want to be Pavlovian about these things, <laughs> just yeah, do just, it. It just comes automatically. Um, uh, one thing I did not remember, I having seen the proposition back nearabouts when it came out, and Eric never seeing it, did not remember it's a Christmas movie. Eric, <laughs> it is a Christmas movie, <laughs> and maybe the most feel good Christmas movie I've ever sure. seen. Sure, <laughs> but we're doing that. Also, by the way. Uh, jokes on us it's actually a ray winston movie and not so much a guy pierce movie but uh <laughs> i mean uh, i think it's it's an ensemble it's um, an ensemble and i think they're the two most prominent but certainly dialogue wise i think ray winston wins yeah we'll talk about it because it, it, there's a element of ravenous here where like yeah guy pierce's character as you said dialogue wise, he just doesn't have a lot of lines uh, a lot yeah. of looking around and looking kind of grody with long hair so definitely um, ravenous flashbacks are uh, prevalent. But yeah, let's get into some entertainment news before we dig into anything here. Um, what do you want to start with, Eric? Uh, do you, let's start with alien news because I, I want to bring up the alien news because uh, I think this is definitely foreshadowing the fact that we're going to do an alien run next in 2024. Because we probably should, right? Because aliens alien, coming back, man. <laughs> aliens coming back in a big way in two projects that were I think I'm kind of equally excited about because one is a straight violent, uh, hopefully awesome alien movie, which is the Fede Alvarez movie, which is coming out next year, which we learned timeline wise. I think, was it Callie Spini star? Yeah, it was an interview with her. Yeah. Doing, doing uh, uh, Priscilla Press, I'm thinking. Priscilla Presley? Um, yes. <laughs> is uh, revealed that the movie takes place between Alien and Aliens. So this mm-hmm. is Alien Romulus will take place between, uh, how, what was the... Uh, Cryo sleep. We just saw the movie. Fifty six years, fifty something years that Ripley was asleep, uh, 
between alien and aliens in her uh, frozen cryo state. And uh, alien Romulus will take place between that. And it's got uh, Kelly Spini and a bunch of other people whose names. Well, Isabella Merced, who's also in Madam Web and has been doing a lot of franchise hopping in her young career. Uh, franchise hopping. That's the way to build a career these days. It's just <laughs> and yeah. starred in Dora the Explorer, a movie I recommended on this podcast. Oh, yeah, I did watch that. That was her. OK, yeah, and I don't I didn't know her name. 57 okay. years, by the way, I just checked it. 57 years. Oh, I should mention um, before we get into the Noah Hawley alien news, which is that um, I read uh, on the way back from uh, California on my flight, I happened to just download the PDF of the alien script, the, sorry, aliens script, the original yeah. one, just to read the scenes that got cut from that movie. Most of it is actually pretty intact. Uh, it's interesting. And, and there's the special edition. Have you seen that, Matt? No, I don't like special edition. No. Oh, I mean, it, <laughs> I mean it's, it's worth watching, even though I do think the theatrical version is ultimately the better, tighter version. But, you know, special edition has some cool sequences. Did the uh, sequence, did the Burke sequence make it into the uh, um, the special edition? I don't recall. The two things that jump out from the special edition, it's probably been like 15 years since I watched it. Two things that jump out most are the the part where they have the, the sort of automated gun set up as defense, but also the big plot point, or I guess the big, you know, thing that was cut was that Ripley had a daughter who died while she was okay, gone. So that, that's the part that I remember seeing on TV. Okay, because then that happened a lot where TV versions yeah. to to fill a much like three Halloween hour time yeah. slot, yeah, yeah. much like Halloween and stuff like that. So yeah, in the yeah, I remember seeing the scene where she learns that her daughter died, and then you know obviously that gives more emotional heft to her connection with Newt in the movie. Though, and when you watch Aliens, you still realize that the scene isn't needed and probably adds a little right. extra grimness that the movie didn't need since it's pretty dark anyway. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the script has the whole thing. A, it has Ripley when she's searching for Newt at the end with the flamethrower and her big souped up gun with grenades and stuff. She finds Burke cocooned and like um, he's like, kill me and she won't do it. But she does give him a grenade to kill himself. Okay. Uh, okay. And another thing is there's a, a bunch of scenes at the beginning of the movie that ties into the Burke plot of him being the one who ordered the colonists to investigate the ship that Ripley talks about and the, right. the people who actually discover the ship from the first movie were Newt's family, her parents and her and her brother. And that they were the ones who actually brought the egg back to the colon, the, you know, the, the, the terraforming colonists there. Right. And right. So you meet them and stuff like that before you meet her. Uh, and they even make a reference to like, Hey, you, you're so good at hide and seek. You get into spaces you can never find, you know, they reference. Anyway, uh, that was just an aside because we had watched aliens and I was like, reading uh well the thing uh, you the, mentioning that it made me because you know we're talking about this except this new movie will be set between the first two movies immediately some people were like could it be about the colonists and lv426 i don't think it will be that that's such a specific grim story also to be tell. Very, also be very boring because we nothing happens yeah. to them until aliens yeah more likely it's something elsewhere but i'm gonna guess Waylon yutani is involved and yeah. like their knowledge of these things you know we'll, we'll be an element the only minor leap in aliens that's sort of expected from the audience is when ripley figures out and just says you order them there there's a thing that says burke you know like i saw the order it yeah. kind of comes out of nowhere in the movie the original script it's set up more where they don't show mm -hmm. burke ordering it but they show the people in the colony being like some guy from the company wants us to go out to the you know so yeah yeah 
it's a little established early on. Okay, now to the Noah Hawley news. So while we're excited about Alien Romulus because it, it we like Fede Alvarez, we're excited about the horror elements he's going to bring to this uh, new um, Alien movie, Noah Hawley's going to do Noah Hawley things. So that's the other thing is the interesting element about this TV series yeah. that's a prequel to Alien. It's So it'll take place before the first movie. And it's set on Earth, right? Uh, is it set on that? I don't I believe, know. I believe so. I believe they've, they've really talked that up because I think it's become a, a semantics battle because they're like, it's the first alien movie really, or alien story really set on Earth. And the people are like, well, the alien versus predator is, but then they're like, yeah, but. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So I guess we're just totally dustbinning AVP too. I think <laughs> everyone's always considered AVP its own. Yeah, <laughs> kind of. I mean, yeah, but I mean, Alien AVP did try to set up with Whaling Utani and all the company. It had but like, but, but also if you go that, back yeah. to the Predator side of things, I think Prey was being very adamant that this is the first time a Predator's ever come to Earth, where Alien versus Predator was like they were there centuries ago. You yeah, know? There, like the whole thing there. with AVP is that the Predators, yeah, basically the. Uh, the aliens were part of the pred- some sort of predator ceremony of like hunting and it yeah. goes back to ancient temples, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so the movie, the, the sorry, the TV show was announced, Timothy Oliphant of um, many movie. We just saw, watched him go. Many cowboy star, hats. Many cowboy <laughs> hats. Uh, obviously a star of Justified and then uh, Justified. Deadwood. Evil, Deadwood, uh, even uh, The Mandalorian. And so he will star as Played a so many sheriffs, <laughs> so many sheriffs, so many rambling, handsome sheriffs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you don't even know where to start. He's going to star on the show as a synth yep. and a mentor toward the lead of the series, which is a character named Wendy, played by Sidney Chandler, who is apparently a metahuman. I don't know what that means. The difference between synth and metahuman at this point in the alien timeline, but uh, we'll find out. I mean, I think she's a human who's been given enhanced abilities versus he's an android because uh, androids have obviously been a big part of the series. I'm just saying that metahumans never returned in the, the movies we've seen. And this is a prequel. Is right, this a right. discovery Except thing? a little like, bit in Alien Resurrection when the clone Ripley. Well, we're talking about like how, yeah, yeah like the cloning experience for uh, experiments for Ripley mm-hmm. uh, gone wrong and or right. But yeah, we're excited for this alien show, which doesn't have a name yet. I think they're just calling it alien at the time right now. Uh, We'll see if that sticks. Um, But yeah, I mean, obviously, Elephant, always great. Um, But when I saw the tweet from Deadline who broke this news, I was like, please let him play a sheriff. And then it's like the story says he's playing an android. But I still want to play Sheriff Android. (laughs) I mean, are we wanting Elephant's hat to get bigger and bigger? Sort of like (laughs) in the the way that Cat... Cameron Monaghan's like uh, uh, cop hat started getting bigger and bigger in scary movie, or even like the McCready hat, just like full on. Oh yeah, uh, McCready hat from Fang. But yeah, that'd be amazing. Uh, there is a um, he, uh, uh, Cobb Vanth, his uh, Mandalorian character, is uh, got a hot toy figure coming out, and it's just you know, it's a it's a beautiful oliphant, beautiful twelve inches of oliphant, Matt. <laughs> That's all we want is twelve, uh, justified <laughs> twelve incher. <laughs> Okay, so yeah, that's the news, is that Timothy Oliphant's on the Alien TV show from Noah Hawley, and that mm-hmm. Alien Romulus is set between the first two movies. Uh, Black Phone 2, the the Black Phone's back in town, everyone's did back. Did we talk about when this was announced? Yeah, the we movie did. was announced about a No, I think we ago. talked about it on the podcast, yeah. Uh, but yeah, the movie was announced, but now everyone's back. Johnny Black Phone's back. Uh, All right, so spoilers for the Black Phone people, but you've had enough time. Uh, Ethan Hawke is back. 
And again, spoilers, uh, his character died in the first movie. So, you know, it raises a lot of questions. I will just say, I don't, I don't think it's going to be like, he's resurrected from the grave. He's back. But the first movie had so much psychic stuff, both with one of the two kids and, and ghosts, the black phone yeah, itself. There's yeah. ghosts. There's a, and you can't even do the twin brother route at this point because he has a brother in the movie. So, yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, right. Uh, I mean, you but still yeah. could, but that, uh, no but yeah, else. everyone's back. Ethan Hawke's back. Uh, the two kids, Mason Thames and Madeline McGraw are back. And then Jeremy Davis, who we just talked about uh, in Ravenous and Justified, uh, is back as their dad. Um, but yeah, Ethan Hawke being... I mean, it's funny because I know there was like... He had to kind of be convinced to do the movie um, to kind of play like, you know, this kind of killer. And then it was a big hit. And now uh, Hawke's now back, like, man. Now it's all he wants to do. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> black Phone 7. <laughs> He's like, I'm all about the Black Phone. Um yeah, uh, looking forward to that black phone. I really like that movie, and, and again, yeah. I'm I'm not. I know people are like his him being in it makes people wary, but I think that the way the first movie worked, and I know it's Joe Hill. Um, it's a Joe Hill like concept again. You know, obviously he didn't write the screenplay, but it's like he did develop a story for the sequel with them. Um, so I'm and if the movie uh, turns out to be subpar or lacking in any way or not satisfying in any way, it ruins um, the first one. We can't yeah. watch it anymore. <laughs> yeah, you just have to never watch the first one. <laughs> That's how yeah. it works. Right? If the sequel sucks, just don't, don't just wipe Destroy. it. Just compartmentalize. Learn, learn to separate things. <laughs> just uh, watch the original and pretend the other one doesn't exist. Uh, delusion is very helpful amongst uh, the film community. Sure. Uh, when it comes to franchises and less helpful, but less like than the other way yeah. and say it ruined everything. All right, uh, The Boys, which is still continues to be a very successful franchise for Amazon. Uh, Gen, um, Gen V, very good. Yeah, I, I just it. I just watched it this past week. By the way, yeah. Gen oh, v. you like uh, to completion? Just I watched all of it <laughs> this <Yeah>. past week. <laughs> all of it? Uh, yeah, um, I very much enjoyed that season. I Me like. Too. I still like the tone, the demented tone and tenor of that world of like you know Amazon's cornered this area of R-rated. Um, warped superhero fair with Invincible and the boys as far as like, this this ain't Marvel. Um, But it's, the thing about it is that like people looking for more cynical, grimmer superhero stories, there's the sort of the Snyderverse side of it where they have to be grim and murderous and cool. And then there's the boys side of it, which is like, they're all pieces of shit and it's actually a lot... Well, here's the thing. It's super uh, politicized and and uh, you know has a lot of social commentary in it. It is not subtle in the in it. So no. it's, this is not like oh, it's like thinly veiled sci-fi. It is not. It is very obvious about uh, uh, the boys commenting on our current state of events in this world and our country and stuff like that. So it is. It's not subtle at all. But it's also um, plays things to. Where yeah, no one is actually no one is cool in this, on these shows at all. Not a single hero or villain or anti-hero is cool. Everyone's right, right. sort of got everyone's just sort of like a a, a big broken person. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, I think that it's working very well for it. So uh, not a surprise at all that they're uh, Variety reported, although Amazon hasn't commented officially on this yet. I don't believe that they are um, developing. A voice, a Spanish language, a boys spinoff set in Mexico City uh, from Blue Beetle writer Gareth Dunnett uh, Al- uh, Alcocer. I don't know how mm-hmm. to pronounce the last name, with possibly Diego Luna and Gail Garcia Bernal as uh, executive producers. 
I mean, they're definitely executive producing. The possibility is maybe they'll be in it in like some recurring roles um, of some sort. So uh, th- that's that's I think the big part, right? Is like these two guys, um, you know, <laughs> being a part of this franchise in any way. Uh, obviously, it'll be a much bigger deal if you get them on camera. Um, Diego Luna still hot right now. Well, <laughs> probably Diego Luna more than Gail Garcia Bernal. I mean, people would recognize him. He is. I'm not saying he's not a big name. I'm just saying. No, no, no. Just I mean, Diego Luna has become like a major star in the past few years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Gail Garcia Bernal is in a ton of things, including uh, Station Eleven, one of my favorite things of the past couple years. Um, but yeah. Um, Werewolf so, yeah. by Night. Uh, and he is in the MCU. And uh, but of course, these two guys, Itumama um, uh, Tambien, <laughs> many years ago. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, I I know that the 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 cynicism is uh, there's a lot of like the boys has become what it's mocking, and I think that's like looking at it from uh, like a a weird um, sort of outside studio perspective. Like it's a franchise now, just like Marvel, which they're mocking. Except the boys isn't like the yes, I mean the boys has a lot of stuff like in you know they have like the Vought plus jokes and all that. But it's more about like taking like the superheroes themselves and deconstructing them. So as long as the shows are good, it's like it's fine for them to franchise it. As long as uh, they uh, continue to have copious amounts of dong, uh, I think it's going to be good. Uh, I, I'm glad that that uh, hanging dong is is like making a big comeback in a big way. Speaking of which, uh, there's a show coming out this week at the end of the week called Obliterated. Uh, if you're if you need your dong fix, just like. <laughs> uh, full frontal dong uh but not just like casual background dong because there's definitely that there's other nudity as well there's lots of butts yeah. there's lots of boobs and stuff but also like plot crucial dong <laughs> <laughs> i mean like Gen it's v- it, it's actively in a scene extended and it's it, like extended <laughs> it is um, well it, gen, for, gen yeah. v has a, a close-up of an erect penis with a uh, shrinking character hanging on. Yep. <laughs> so I'm there saying, you go. I'm saying <laughs> this, a, we're living in a glorious time. The dawn of dong, a new dawn of dong. Um, or in a bit of a wangasance is what I'm saying. <laughs> right. Uh, oh, I'll, I'll do a little uh, plug here because um, we're talking about the boys. Um, I'm moderating some panels at LA Comic Con. If that's a thing that you are going to or have ability to go to this weekend, and one of them is um, a panel with for the boys with Aaron Moriarty and Karen Fukuhara. So, uh, oh, nice, nice. Yeah, um, mention that. Uh, if this were like 2008, you it would literally be called the Badass Babes of the Boys. <laughs> well, that's what IGN story would be called. In <laughs> that's what it would be called. That's what it would be called. <laughs> I just uh, star section with they're not just babes, they're badass. <laughs> That's right. Uh, anyway, yeah. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, you know, the boys Mexico. Uh, this is an intriguing group of people, and uh, if you make more good stuff, I'll enjoy it. So there you go. Uh, that's not what it's officially called, but it, possibly we'll see. <laughs> Could be just called the 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 boys Mexico, the Mexican boys. <laughs> uh, right, right, right. Uh, All sorts of things. Live Moss. We'll see. Okay. Uh, we've got the one. Vot- <laughs> we've got uh, one write in this week from Brandon. Um, Brandon asks, and this is a uh, wrestling side quest here, which is obviously a big thing happened in the world of wrestling this past week. Uh, how long before CM Punk blows it all the hell? And will he ruin quote unquote, the story for Cody Rhodes? And then he also follows it up Eric with also as a personal aside to Eric, I feel like this is the first great season of survivor since winner takes all. I hope you're enjoying it. Brandon. 
It's so funny Brandon mentions that because I nearly began this episode going, ah, Matt, I wish you watched Survivor <laughs> because uh, really good episode last night. Uh, the montage set to the Kenny Loggins um, song from Top Gun was amazing. The editorial choices this season. Are you uh, trying so to say Danger Zone? Uh, no, um, what's, the, what's the boys? The other, I was going to assume if you meant Danger Zone. I always, I always forget the, um, the boys is in the title. But I forget the. It's not. It's oh. not the boys are back. Playing, playing, playing with, the with the boys. Playing with the yeah. Boys. Playing with the boys. That was amazing. I hope that's what the boys Mexico is called. Yeah. Um. Uh. This has been the best season. Um. I would say since uh, David versus Goliath. Uh, a great season. I've mentioned many times in this podcast. I've even tried to get Matt to watch it. The season Mike White is on. Uh. And uh, yes. I don't so have TV is, anymore, Eric. I can't do this. Whatever. <laughs> it's on Paramount Plus. That yeah. I do have thanks to a friend. Yeah. There you go. Um, so, uh, yeah. And then the CM Punk stuff, Brandon, uh, yeah, I won't bore our non-wrestling fan uh, listeners here, but uh, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I think there's definitely a, a, a betting pool that could be created around how long CM Punk lasts and anything he does at this point. But uh, yeah, I don't know that it will. Yeah, it, it doesn't spell it doesn't spell good news for Cody and WrestleMania, but uh, we know we don't know. We don't we, yeah, I do think that uh, him coming back, I mean, there's a lot of factors and, uh, you know, why it happens. But I will say that with WrestleMania 40 coming, I think they want like such a big, like splashy. And I don't know if they'll pull off getting the rock or not, but I think that they want like the, uh, the biggest stars they can have. Yeah, I, I know 40. that the rock could also ruin Cody's story. A lot yeah. of things can there's ruin. So many things basically, ruin. <laughs> basically, anything that could take Cody away from facing Roman Reigns ruins the story for this year, at least. Uh, it does help that it's two nights too, obviously. So yep. they can fit in all of the big headliners. Okay. Uh, Eric, you and I both uh, signed up for free trials for services this week that we immediately canceled just so that we can watch Raw live on Monday night and wait three hours for CM Punk to be like, I'm CM Punk. Um, so <laughs> I'm CM Punk and I'm here to say. <laughs> well, so by the end, by the end, um, I wish he did an old school 80s rap, but I, <laughs> at the end, he there's like seven minutes left and he's walking to the ring and I'm like, all right, either he literally is like, I'm back, thank you, which is what happened, uh, or he gets attacked. Uh, so I was like, there's no... <laughs> There's there's no uh, room for a pipe bomb right now. There's right. <laughs> By the way, I will say, and let's move on after this for our non-wrestling listeners. I I even though I understand why people wanted more, I uh, also knowing the behind the scenes, knowing how last minute signing him really was, I'm kind of glad they're taking it taking it. They a beat. they, ab they absolutely should, and I don't yes. think that uh, they even had like a storyline. They don't no. have a storyline for him, so it's just like he's here. We don't have anything for him yet, but he's here. So yeah. All right. Um, let's get into our good things to enjoy. If you want to write in, you can actually do it the old the old fashioned way and do we enjoy wrestling at gmail.com. Uh, no, sorry. We enjoy podcasts. Jesus. See all Jesus the CM Punk. Christ, man. The, the CM Punkness of it all has got me thinking about wrestling. So we enjoy podcast at gmail.com. You can get at us on Patreon as well if you're a Patreon uh, patron. And that's usually how we get our, our messages that we read aloud on air. And good things to enjoy. Eric. What you got? Uh, looks like you and I are both going off uh, uh, thinking outside the bun this week. You know what I'm saying? Uh, well, what, is your, yeah. what is your recommendation? Because <laughs> we're not doing TV shows or movies. Uh, I am recommending a book. 
you nerds. Uh, <laughs> the words never uh, stop. But a book H-O-K. about TV. Um, and, uh, you know, disclosure alert, as we mentioned before, Alan Seppenwall, who wrote this book, is a friend of ours. Um, and I'm actually thanked at the end of this book. But so taking all that aside, um, I highly recommend uh, Welcome to the OC, The Oral History, which just came out this week uh, by Alan Seppenwall. Alan's, you know, a great writer, um, you know, been covering TV for a long time. And um, with lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's, he kind of has a big history with the OC. It was a show that he covered a lot when it came out. The first book he ever wrote was about it. But this is a terrific kind of real warts and all look at the history of the show. And, you know, it's sort of epic, sort of very quick rise and fall because it was only on for four seasons, but it was so mega white hot that first year. And why did it flame out so quickly? And both, you know, creatively and behind the scenes, what was going on? Um, You know, most of the major people you'd want to speak in this uh, participate. I feel like Chris Pratt's probably the most notable that they didn't get. Um, but you know, pretty much, uh, uh, with a couple of small exceptions, they got uh, just about everyone. They certainly got all the leads and all the major creatives. Um, you know, Josh Schwartz and Stephanie Savage were very involved, um, in, uh, in being a part of this and, uh, yeah, it's, it's great. And I wish Matt, I'd read it a couple months ago because there are such good stories about Doug Lyman because he directed the pilot and the second episode and, oh man. And they talked to him and just about where he was at in his career coming off born identity and, but also coming off of like the, the absolute chaos that was the shooting of born identity with him in the studio. Yeah. And more importantly, from his perspective, again, there's, you know, going to be other people's perspectives, but from his perspective, that the reason he basically torpedoed ever coming back to the born franchise was that he did something you're really not supposed to do, which is while doing press for born identity, he talked very candidly about all the fights he had with the studio and like, you know, bad mouth people. And so he was kind of, you know, was, uh, you know, kind of in jail a little bit, certainly with universal at that point and how he took over directing from Mick G who is a producer on the OC, but couldn't direct it, even though he's supposed to because of Charlie's angels too. And some crazy great stories about Doug Lyman and uh, what an eccentric person he is. And, and also, but then how, you you know, some people really love him. And obviously he would work with Brody, Adam Brody again. He'd work with Rachel Bilson again on Jumper. Um, I think I think also um, Peter Gallagher. Anyway, uh, I, I mentioned that because we just did the Doug Lyman or did a couple months ago, a Doug Lyman run. And I mentioned in passing, he directed the OC pilot. But lots of great stories in this book about that. That's obviously not the brunt of the book, although it is important part because the pilot is very important. Uh, but yeah, just uh, really good stuff about like... Uh, 
and I will, I obviously, if you've watched the show, this all be way more meaningful but i do think even if you haven't watched the show it is just a great look at like sort of the machinery of hollywood what it's like to go from being obscure actor to mega like you know to have teenage girls obsessed with you like screaming and yelling uh when they see you um and also the oc being a show that fell into a trap i've seen other shows fall into uh desperate housewives uh vampire diaries come to mind of having a great first seasons that one of the reasons they were great was so it was unrelenting plot just twist 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 everything moving 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 except when you do that the problem when you try to do season two and three and you're like oh shit we like burnt through so much story so many things that we should have went on uh because we were wanting to be exciting and, and I have to figure that out. And of course, this is an era where the OC not only 22 episodes, the first season was 27 episodes because it was so popular and Fox wanted more, more, more. And also like, you know, a, a what happens when the president of the network changes and the person who left was a big fan of you and the person who comes in does not like your show. Uh, and yeah, so uh, lots of good, interesting stuff here and why characters were written out. And, and, this so, and that. it's always interesting. Uh, I feel like some of these books and some of these articles and some of these like oral histories should be mandatory for the people online who come, the fans online who comment about and, and send hate mail and send horrible things, never, ever knowing the reasons why things happen, just that they, and they blame the wrong people for things. They yeah, I'm thinking in a when really specific way. Like, yeah, and oh, they, they like, did it like the things are going on behind the scenes that they have no clue about, and they they'll they'll just they think they know how the industry works. They think it's the writer's fault. They think it's this performer's fault. They think things are going. They they're so sure that they know why things are going wrong, and they are absolutely completely in the dark. They have no idea. And there's a lot of things that people behind the scenes can't talk about either. They can, yeah. that, who can never reveal about why certain things happen. And because it could have been a, a certain writer, it could have been a certain actor who, you know, it like, you'll never know. So these are always really important. I always feel bad that I can't read. It's not that I can't, but like, Seppenwall Soprano book or OC book because I've never watched Sopranos or the OC. Right, so. right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to reveal now, Matt, uh, when Alan texted me and said, hey, I want to send you an early copy of this book. He said, oh, should I send one to Fowler? I was like, ah, he has never watched the OC. So. <laughs> More reason for Seppenwall to hate me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, like, I'll tell you one quick aside as, as what, what you're talking about here and, and Variety published like, you know, some of these quotes today, but there's a whole funny thing. Adam Brody, I think he's such a fun, great presence. The OC was, you know, he he made that character so great and lovable. Also in Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Mr. and Mrs. Smith. But then it's like, yeah, he's he's just got a great on-screen presence. But again, they talk in this book about how he always kind of felt a little above the material, but especially when the scripts weren't as good and the storylines weren't as good in season three, um, how he really started to check out in a way that was like not really professional when she acknowledges like in his performance and Josh Schwartz is like, that's why in season three, we made his character become a stoner was because he was acting so lethargic. And so like, you know, not giving energy so suddenly that we wanted to explain it. <laughs> so we like had his character start smoking pot all the time. And so it's like at the time, of course they couldn't say that if people right. were like, so, oh, and then yeah. I'm sure fans were like, what's happening, you know, and they, they, they think they know what's going on. This is the reason. You'll never know. Yeah, Man, yeah. I've just, I, I, I past half a year, I think I've become more and more focused on the people who have no idea how movies and TV shows or video games get made. And yeah. and 
look, the people who actually make them deal with this all the time, having to deal with people online, fans online, bozos and clowns online, like thinking they know how the, the industry works or thinking they know how to do their job better, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know why I've just sort of become not hyper fixated on it, but more aware of it this year than ever. It's just, it's been going on since the beginning of right, right. the internet. Yeah. The internet. We have more ways to see it. Even, even more of that. We have more yeah, to see. So. But uh, anyway, great book. And uh, welcome to the OC. Uh, it's in bookstores if you go to those, but obviously Amazon, anywhere you can order or read books uh, on a Kindle or whatnot, you can find it. All right. Um, my recommendation is another album because that's what I'll do through this month or maybe for the next two weeks. But um, again, trying to find music that just sort of stands on its own as an, in an interesting way that it's not like giving you like the seventh album in REM's like massive catalog or something like that, where you have, you know, bands also that people aren't usually super fans of like yeah. Pearl Jam or a U2 or an REM or a thing like that, uh, where it's sort of obvious. It's like, Hey, you know what? Uh, <laughs> R.E.M.'s Out of Time is a great album. I'm recommending it. It's sort of like when we like, hey, you know what? I'm not going to recommend. Roses, Appetite for Destruction. You know what? I'm not going to recommend uh, Avengers Endgame. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's just sort of like there's the, there's the pop culture touchstones and the musical touchstones that we all know. So mine is uh, an album by a group called Nevermen. And it is also, the album's also called Nevermen. Uh, Wikipedia refers to them as a supergroup. I know a supergroup is technically a group that's comprised of people from other bands. Sure. But for a supergroup, I feel like those bands have to be big. <laughs> like, I feel like it can't just be like three indie musicians coming together and making something. Right, right. We're in like, some, we're in other bands and now we're in this band. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, that's just what indie people do. Anyway, the yeah. biggest person in this is Mike Patton, who I'm a fan of Eric Zafina. Ah, okay, there you go. So Bearing the lead here. <laughs> so Mike Patton is one of the three people in this project. You mean this is one of his 50 bands? It is. It absolutely is. This is 49. And the other, he's the like, other guy, he's like um, Tony Stark when he started building so many suits of armor. Yeah, the other guy you may have heard of is Tunde Ambimpe, which is, or Adabimpe, who is the lead singer of a band called TV on the Radio, sort of an mm -hmm. indie band that was kind of had a, a its day uh, over a decade ago. And But he also, very interesting artist and performer. He's an actor, like he was in season two of The Girlfriend Experience. Uh, he was an animator for MTV's Celebrity Deathmatch. He's just been all over. Musician, performer, artist. He was in Spider-Man Homecoming as a teacher. Um, and then a rapper who I'd never heard of named Do Dosone or Dos One. I'm not sure how you pr pronounce it. But these three came together in sort of a long-form collaboration that began in 2008. The album was finally released in 2015. They never did live shows. They never did anything. They just did the this musical collaboration and with three front men, it's interesting. So you'd think that they would trade off singing. They don't. They okay. all sing on all songs. Sometimes together, sometimes they trade parts. So think of Beastie Boys. Think of like uh, songs where you like just actually trade off doing things. And sometimes there's rapping and a lot of times there's singing, a lot of harmonies. And Nevermen I find is a super super engrossing interesting listen as far as like it's got some really great harmonies and melodies and hooks uh i can't describe it though i don't know how what you would uh, literally on wikipedia it says genre is experimental uh, now, I, I know we've told this story before but i always will chuckle about you you're saying <laughs> this ends the music portion yeah, of our evening is... uh, and i'm like patent show where he started to get fucking weird okay so this is not 
Phantomas's first album, which okay. I would just, which I would describe as experimental. This is yeah. actual songs. They are songs. They, it's not like a bunch of fucking noise. Um, <laughs> uh, sorry, two thousand six. It's not Bobby McFerrin gone wild. <laughs> Bobby McFerrin on Angel Dust. Yeah. So never, <laughs> never men is the name of the album. They have a man. They have a great song called Tough Towns. They have Mr. Mistake. Like just really good stuff. I've found myself over the years listening to it over and over again. I think mm. it's a great listen beginning to end and i think it'll surprise you i think and again you can hear who Patton is you can hear tune day in there and then a lot of the rapping is done by disown disone or dose one and uh it's uh, man you know no follow-up to this again no touring for this it was just something that people do uh sending music back and forth to one another as far as like refining recordings over the years uh never men is my uh uh, I guess second Mike Patton recommendation because he was on a Gotta Girl track. Uh, he was on Put Your Head Down on Gotta Girl's album last week. All right. Um, I will absolutely listen to this because, yeah, I love Mike Patton um, and he's great. And it's, it, it, you know, as we joke about, um, did we mention as we're talking about Mike Patton, for people who don't know, Faith No More being his most famous band, but he's not, he has so many bands, but like you were mentioning, Matt, just now, it's like sometimes these other, and I don't even want to call them side projects because it's so much part of his DNA that he has these other projects, but sometimes there'll be ongoing bands and sometimes it's like a one and done. Um, and uh, So his most like- most famous non-Faith No More bands are Mr. Bungle, who he's been touring with now for the past two years because they released a new uh, sort of slash metal album. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um that they've been going basically actually touring metal fest with like they were at sick new world last year. Uh, He had a band called dead cross, which is a hardcore punk band that's had two albums, but then Tomahawk has had like, man, four or five albums at this point. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. And then uh, they have a great one. Um, Yeah. The second album I think is my first and second are my favorite. And then they kind of lost me with the newer ones, but then uh, Phantomas, which is always experimental, but I would say if you're going to listen to any Phantomas, listen to their album called the director's cut, which they do metal funk jazz versions of film scores and or film songs. So especially from like the sixties and seventies. So like they do Rosemary's baby and the Godfather and the omen. And they do, this is where they do his, their cover with added lyrics to twin peaks fire walk with me. Um, So (laughs) that's the one I recommend. Anyway, that's Mike Patton in a nutshell. Let's move on. Um, Next, okay, so starting next week, this ends, the proposition ends our Guy Pierce run. Except next we week, inadvertently, yeah, kind of, we stepped right into our next, like, I didn't realize we were going to have a bridge movie, because I knew nothing about the proposition, uh, yeah. but we have a bridge movie here. Yeah, and the element of the proposition that I didn't remember is that it's a Christmas movie, and so we are technically doing holiday movies for December, mm-hmm. holiday horror, holiday action, maybe a rom-com, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Uh, they will probably wind up all being Christmas movies, but we're not quite sure at this point. Look, we'll, Christmas we'll... gets the better movies. They do. Just Christmas, <laughs> yeah, it is. As uh, Every year as we struggle, uh, all of our friends and peers at other 
entertainment sites struggling to find good Thanksgiving content, you know, like (laughs) (laughs) this is a Thanksgiving movie and they're pulling out. What do they have? Planes, trains, automobiles. There's only like six of them Mm -hmm. uh, that that are good. The fact that Thanksgiving, Eli Ross Thanksgiving opened uh, this year gives it like a big new headliner for Thanksgiving movies. Yeah, Um, absolutely. Yeah. Christmas gets uh, basically all the movies. All the Hallmark movies too. You know what I mean? Like, it's oh my like, god, like dozens like, and dozens every year. I'm just saying, like, it, it's uh, an unbeatable holiday when it comes to this. Because yeah, could we find a, a horror movie that takes place on Arbor Day? Sure, but like, we're gonna do December snow set cold weather movies, and we're starting it with. I mean, a movie I, can't, I-, I can't promise there's snow in all of them, but it's still December in all of them. I uh, never seen this movie, but I've always wanted to. Oh. So this gives me a chance to watch it. And I'd heard good things about it from people I know. We are going to start with Anna and the Apocalypse, which is a musical zombie movie set around Christmas time. And it, when is it from? Like four years ago? 2017. Oh, wow. Longer ago than I thought. Six years ago. Anna and the Apocalypse. Oh, you know what, though? It didn't come out till 2018. Because 2017, it was when it did a film fest thing. I, I pulled that classic. Oh, you did, you did the mistakes too. Yeah, okay. yeah. So 2018 is when it was actually released. You can watch Anna and the Apocalypse on Shudder, AMC Plus, Canopy, or you can rent it. And um, yeah, uh, I'm interested to see where it goes. I uh, The the uh, the pull quote says, it's uh, Shaun of the Dead meets La La Land, Eric. So <laughs> that's what I mean, we're I'm sure for. that's what they said at the meeting to, to pitch it. So there you go. <laughs> exactly. All right. Let's get into the proposition, the stealth Christmas movie that takes place in the Australian hellscape. I'm going to show this to my family every Christmas. Yeah. It's like, you think <laughs> Die Hard's a Christmas movie. Where do you see this one? It has way more rape in it. Uh, oh. And way more like massacring of the Aborigines. It's interesting because this is a big part of obviously of Australian history. And so we went through this with Quigley down under. Sadly, Quigley, Matthew Quigley does not appear anywhere in the proposition. (laughs) I can't believe they didn't make this connected universe. (laughs) There's only Uh, one man who can stop the Burns gay. (laughs) Believe it or not, Eric, way more Aboriginal death in in Quigley down under than in the proposition, which is saying something. Uh, there is even a disclaimer at the beginning of this movie that wasn't there, I believe, the first time I saw it, but it was a mm. long, long time ago, which is, you know, basically the indigenous communities posted a warning at the beginning of this movie about um, sort of really, really the opening credits, brutal scenes, yeah, brutal scenes and then depiction of like photos depicting actual deceased people. Uh, so lets you know that you're sort of in for a parade of horrors in this movie. Although I will say again, because I knew. I knew really nothing about this movie except that I kind of knew its era and obviously knew Guy Pierce and Ray and I knew Ray Winston was in it. That's we got all I knew that that even that opening disclaimer, though, I will say, you know, modern lens. I mean, this movie came out 18 years ago, but it's like the fact that like they're really none of the main characters are Aboriginal. I mean, they're part of them. It's like part of the movie. But it is funny that it's like uh, grimly funny, I should say, that it's like there's this warning and it's not like it's like treated lightly in the movie. But it does kind of seem almost a little weird that, you know, given the context of this movie, it's about white guys, um, you know, with this as a backdrop. Australia has a fascinating history. And I recommend a book called Fatal Shore for anyone wanting to read up more about Australian history. But very much parallel to the United States in in certain ways. You know, both, uh, you know, America being a former colony of England and Australia never quite uh moving out from under the thumb of of uh the motherland but 
both having uh, basically indigenous population genocides, both having their own version of, you would, you could say the Wild West. Australia, though, having much more in uninhabitable terrain in the center, taking up a large portion of that country's, you know, sort of like making almost the center of it uh, unlivable. A lot of deserts, a lot of harsh landscapes. And being a penal colony in a way that, uh, yeah, like there, you know, America was founded by sort of wanks who like religious fanatics who like fled because they were basically, basically it's the witch. It's like the family who was too awful, even for the religious fanatics. And they right. were banished to the woods <laughs> so because they were so much more hardcore and awful than yeah. the rest of the community. That's what America was. That's the people who came over on uh, and the initial boats. But um, yeah, a penal colony during an era of England when sentencing, like people were being sentenced to death for stealing bread for, and like judges really had no discretion or uh, any general way of like ruling for a ruling based on context. Like they were just there to, to deliver death sentences. Mm -hmm. And so people winding up in Australia and you got everyone who, yeah, who like stole because they were hungry to like crazed murderers right, <laughs> and like, right. and like mentally ill and people who were actual sort of, terrible people um but yeah it was a it was a in 1788 it was a penal colony uh down in new south wales and it does have its own basically westerns and so mm -hmm. as a genre it's very fascinating to watch that and this is really an unsettling one this is a one that i think very i think nicely is a weird way to put it starkly and effectively shows the contrast between especially between certain characters the britain that they were that they left and that they still pine for and like the the you know between morris and martha and like what they think england was and how they left their left their climate they left their landscape they left you know yeah. their their traditions and all this stuff and how they sort of built this bizarre oasis where they're trying to <laughs> have any taste of home in what is considered this, the, the badlands, this, this wasteland that they now see, that they see as just ugly and disgusting. And also tips everyone's racism over the breaking point because they're just so, so racist mm -hmm. uh, as we were with uh, the indigenous population here. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah it, so th there's a lot of that. I, th I really like the look of this movie and sort of, Oh, it's uh, everything's yeah, everything's really ugly and really harsh. It's just like really, you know, although there are some beautiful shots, including one where it's kind of called out like, you know, uh, you know sort of a beautiful uh, sunrise or sunset. Um, it's funny watching at the, when the beginning of this movie. I thought, wow, is this the first Guy Pierce movie I've seen where he gets to in Australia because he's Australian. And then I remember Priscilla Queen of the Desert, which I did see um, when, you know, when he's very young and that, and that is a movie set in Australia. But, you know, obviously we, we've we just watched a bunch of movies where he played Americans. Uh, that is what kind of made him famous. And we should just mention and here. You know, he, here he's playing Irish, though. Yes, yes. And in Australia. Yeah, Irish. Yeah. Uh, we should and we should mention also it's like we've kind of mentioned this in previous weeks, but it's just career wise. It's interesting because. This movie comes out in 2005, and in 2002, uh, as you've mentioned, he played the bad guy in Count of Monte Cristo, but that's the same year The Time Machine comes out, which is the last attempt 
to make him a U.S. studio movie leading man. And again, I don't know if that's because the studios were like, he's not bankable or he just didn't really want to do it anymore because I'm sure he could have done more studio movies, even if it went as, as the lead. But it's funny when the rest of this decade, you know, after those two movies, he really does indies. It's not until like Iron Man 3 and Prometheus, when he's a villain, when he's just a small kind of backstory role that he's even doing major studio movies again. Um, so it's kind of like the experiment in making him a leading man ended and now he can just go back to doing and we don't know movies. and we don't know what went into that we don't know if it yeah. was guy pierce resisting it and wanting to do more movies like this or just doing mm -hmm. what he wants to do and not like into the entire leading man scene or if these movies just truly or if he did want these movies to succeed and they just didn't or he's like maybe i'm just better as a sort of a smarmy slimy guy uh, i'm not sure <laughs> um or, or just or just even as a you know um um rarely playing like a straightforward here. I, I will say watching this movie was interesting um, after the run we did uh, full spoilers for the proposition, but it's like, you know, except for Memento, Memento is different because Memento is about a guy who is deluding himself into thinking he's doing something good or at least righteous. Uh, the other three, and this fit in nicely with LA confidential and ravenous is a guy who is, I, I, it's, it's a little um, simplistic to say reluctant hero, but in all three of those movies, it's like he has to kind of really rise up by the end to do something right. You know, it's like he has to be um, like he, he's not a straightforward hero. Um, he yeah, is he, like, he you know, takes he takes a turn. Yeah. Uh, and I think and by a... the end, he will stop the bad guy, you know, but it kind of takes a push to get him there. It's interesting because there's a lot of vagueness about this movie and about character motivations. Some of that lends to its haunting element and some of it makes you scratch your head a little bit where it's like, Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. We never saw him leave his brother's gang. Like, I would. The structure of this movie, which I'll talk about in a few minutes, is very interesting about how they actually plan this out. And it, so John Hillcoat, Australian director, uh, did this one with writer Nick Cave. Nick Cave. Uh, yes, that Nick Cave. Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Uh, very uh, famous, influential musician. If you don't know any of the Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds songs, you do know Red Right Hand from the Scream franchise. And Peaky Blinders, as we've discussed. <laughs> Yeah, uh, from the Scream franchise. There. Uh, uh, yes, from the Scream franchise. I also, I realized, by the way, I don't really know Nick Cave. I've never listened to a Nick Cave album. I just know him. He was at cool. a Lollapalooza we went to. He we was at a Lollapalooza. We watched a set. Yeah. I know. So. We watched a set. But I mainly know Nick Cave for cool soundtrack songs from Scream, Batman Forever, 
and um, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part Two. So, <laughs> Those are my main Nick Cave uh, references. He is also a screenwriter, as it turns out. Mm-hmm. And uh, he and John Hilko would work together again in Lawless, the Shia LaBeouf bootlegging movie uh, a few years later that Nick Cave would also write. And- Fascinating to see. Um, I don't know how many movies, <laughs> there's got to be a very small amount that have one person who's the screenwriter and composer. Uh, it reminded me a little bit of John Ottman, who would be a editor and composer on movies like X. This is like when the the host and musical guest of SNL are the <laughs> <Right>. same. <laughs> when they do double duty and they just is like, I'm going to But I think we're more, we're more used to the songs. director star, like that being the same person, like Eastwood, yeah. than this. Like, this is interesting where it's like those two very specific roles. Uh, Hillcoat would go on a few years later to direct The Road, uh, the happiest movie ever made. Which Guy Pierce is in. Uh, Guy Pierce has a small role at the end of that movie. And then, uh, but then he did a movie that I'm very, very interested in, by the way, uh, even though it didn't look like it was received very well. Uh, it's from 2016 called Triple Nine. And basically, uh, man, the cast is like Casey Affleck, Anthony Mackie, Aaron Paul, Norman Reedus, Michael K. Mm-hmm. Williams, Gal Gadot, Woody Harrelson, uh, Chitwatel uh, Ejiofor. That's a wild. Kate Winslet. Yeah, this is a crazy cast. Anyway, uh, so yeah, th- that's that's who made and wrote this movie. And then uh, starring in it is obviously Guy Pierce. We've got Ray Winstone, who uh, we did not enjoy as a character in Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, uh, who's the bad guy in Black Widow. He's been in a ton of things you've seen. And um, yeah, then I mean, uh, Sexy uh, Beast had been kind of his like indie breakout. And he got to be a lead, except um, in weird animation with Beowulf. <laughs> That's right. He was Beowulf where the Beowulf looked nothing like him because he was like slim and cut Ripped, and all that yeah. stuff. It was interesting. Um, and uh, John Hurt, obviously, we everyone knows he's in this. Danny Houston uh, is in this movie as the older brother, uh, the target. Um, Which was funny for me because I watched this movie two days away from watching um, uh, Red Eye at the New Bev. It was a Killian Murphy double feature with Sunshine. So I watched both the William Strikers this week, Matt. Uh, with, uh, <laughs> okay. Actually, there's a third William Striker I forgot in um, in uh, the prequels <laughs> in the uh, in uh, Days of Future or- Past. <laughs> oh man, um, David Wenham, who people would also know from the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and uh, just- he was killing me. Um, I had to look him up. Because oh I'm yeah, like, I know oh. that guy. I know that oh. guy. Oh, he and, is uh, yeah. <laughs> such a sleazebag. If anyone's seen Top of the Lake, the two seasons of Top of the Lake with, um, what's her name from Mad Men? Uh, uh, Elizabeth Moss. Yeah. Uh, well, he's Australian a, he's series. A, but yeah, he's a big Australian actor. Um, but he's also a, a mega hateable guy in this movie too. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's a lovable guy in The Lord of the Rings. is Faramir, but mm-hmm. um, here, not so much. I want to talk about Danny Houston a little bit. Uh, you've seen Danny Houston in, Houston in a ton of things. I won't list them all. Uh, yes, I know. I won't list them all. But <laughs> I wanted to say that he directed a few things. Um, but like a long time ago, uh, like in the 80s directing things. Oh, really? Weird. Uh, okay. So he directed a movie in the 80s. He directed Mr. North that starred Anthony Edwards. You remember? Okay. This movie? Yes. I remember that movie. Exists. Okay. Yeah. Now this is the one that I'm really into. He only directed three movies, one in the eighties, one in the nineties, and then one like last decade. But the one in the nineties, it was a direct video movie called the maddening. And it was a psychological thriller, Eric starring Burt Reynolds and Mia Sarah. Huh? And the, the poster looks like it, it's, a I, hope piece not, of I hope not as love <laughs> interest. 
I don't know. But it's Hollywood, so anything's possible. I, I couldn't tell you for sure. <laughs> but anyway, that's Danny Houston. I had no idea that he directed a few movies himself. Um, all right. Uh, the proposition. I wanted to get into this, uh, which life. I should I should warn. By the way, uh, I I it was this has been a very busy week, but and I knew if, but I knew if we didn't do this podcast this morning, then I had no other time to do it. Mm. So I watched this movie in bed on my laptop, and I didn't take any notes. The way so. the way it should be. <laughs> right. But I want to ask you about the. Then let me ask you about the format. How did you think about the way the movie plays out? With the proposition being like the first scene, like the first, first of all, they say the proposition up front, so I cheer. And you're like, you're Leonardo DiCaprio pointing at the screen. <laughs> yes, but where, like, it could have been the end of the first act. There could have been a whole setup where you meet uh, Morris Stanley and his wife Martha, mm-hmm. and like they go, they're like, we finally find out where the Burns brothers are, and then they go, and there's the big shootout with the with Mikey and Charlie and all that, and they capture them, and then yeah. the first act ends with him saying, "Go kill your brother to save your other brother." Like the the proposition, yeah. Yeah. it starts with the proposition, and then it feels like the movie doesn't know exactly where it's going to go from there. Like because my uh, Charlie goes off, and you think that the movie is going to be about his journey, his odyssey to find his brother. And it's only, and then it only winds up being half that because the other half winds up being mostly, yeah, Ray Winston's character, Morris, and his wife, Martha, back home dealing with their townsfolk, the other cops, uh, uh, David Wenham's Fletcher character, and stuff like that. And him trying to hide the fact that he offered this um, uh, deal. deal to Charlie and let him go, and all that stuff. And then every mm-hmm. once in a while we check in with Charlie, who most of the time wasn't doing so great <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> out, out in the uh, the actual outback. But uh, it, the 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 format of this is in, it was interesting because it feels like it feels like the proposition almost came a little too early, and then they kind of didn't know how to, or at least I'm talking about Nick Cave here writing the script, didn't know what to fill the other pages with because. Oh, okay, so I actually I I really like it from the Ray Winstone character's perspective. Because the way the movie begins, uh, I thought, you know, the, the way it opens, you could think, oh, he's the antagonist or he is right. a, you know, it's like you, you do not in another movie, he would just be a nefarious force. The minute Emily Watson walks into the movie, I'm like, oh, this is different because we're meeting his wife and because we are getting this much more sympathetic look at him and that he is trying to do the right thing. Certainly, uh, you know, up against like someone like Fletcher, the David Wenham character. Um, so I really liked it from that perspective and subverting what I expected. I do agree with Charlie. I wish they filled in some blanks and they could maybe through flashbacks or dialogue um, of what he thought about Arthur in the past. Because yeah, well, like we, you said, we don't we know don't why he know. left. He and Mikey left this gang. Right. Was it because of what they did at that right. homestead? That he was going you know, too the, far. The, the, the family that got killed and raped mm-hmm. and murdered and stuff. Who we see, so in the opening credits, we see their pictures. Yeah. So we see their dead pictures and then their graves. And actually that's the Hopkins family that he visits the house of later and sees their graves and stuff. But yeah, was that the straw that broke his back? Was that the bridge too far? Was that like his turning point? But we don't know. We don't know how he feels about his brother how much he loved his brother and then would felt betrayed by him or was always indifferent to his brother. We kind of get that he really likes Mikey and protects Mikey and yes, now will yes. do anything for him. But it, it's, yeah. So the character motivations are very, yeah, I do think Arthur and Charlie's past 
could have been filled in more. I, I would have liked to have understood. Yeah. Were they ever on the same page? So Captain uh, Stanley, not? Morris Stanley's character, like you said, is way more interesting as the guy who, yeah, he's beating on suspects. He's like, I will civilize this land. He says it twice mm-hmm. uh, as the guy is like, oh, he's the, the awful colonial. He's the, you know, he's the one who's trying to make Australia like England and will do whatever he can right. to do it. And whether that means awful ethnic genocide or just, you know, he even says, I'm the law and order. Like, the, I, I can do what I want here. And mm-hmm. so he seems like someone who's terrible. What we learn is that, like, he is a guy who's been pushed to his absolute limit by this, whatever, 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 for whatever reason, he's been transferred to Australia or moved there or exiled there or whatever after spending 22 years in Her Majesty's Armed Forces. He has, mm-hmm. or, like, we don't know. Or his majesty's at that point. I don't know. Was it a king at that point? I can't remember. Because <laughs> uh, I, I know you got to change it um, depending on if it's a queen or king in, in, in rule. But he, uh, yeah, he obviously seems like the villain. But then when he's got this wife who is very caring and very much wants to share in his darkness. It's the old sort of like cop who doesn't want to take his shit home. Right. And wants right. to protect his wife. This is basically heat, which is like, I can't share. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I need my darkness. It keeps me on the edge where I got to be. Uh, and but she's just there as someone who truly loves him and he loves yeah. her back. And it feels like they actually do have um, uh, um, like an actual good relationship. Yeah, he's, no, they have a good partner. He's taken some like powder that we're sure is actually probably a narcotic for his headaches. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it's probably opium or something that's basically numbing him to the world. And he's getting headaches because of his stress or probably from some undiagnosed medical condition back then or something like that. He's kind of falling apart and he looks terrible. And anyone, everyone also just looks terrible. Like even when he's like in his full suit, Everyone's just dirty and dusty and unwashed <laughs> and it doesn't matter. Like the only one. So that's why when Fletcher comes in as somebody who actually is sort of clean <laughs> and has a lot of money, boo, <laughs> boo, he stands out. But the fact is that like Martha, there was that scene where she walks into town where she's trying to like, just, you know, she's not trying to feel better than any, everyone else. She's just trying to walk through the town the way she would have back home. I assume. And she's looked down on, she gets dirty looks. So, you know, a a woman even like mutters under her breath, calls her a cow, you know, Mm. like they just have such disdain for her, even though she hasn't done anything to them. And from what we can gather, neither has Captain Morris. Like they seem to like him, like maybe, I don't know. It's weird that they just have this, um, the fact that they're trying to carve out their old life seems to put people off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, I was like, very, it's it's fucked up and dark that it's like, I was like, oh no, is this horrible foreshadow when all of his men are talking about how they want to fuck her, that they were going to do something terrible to her. Oh, Turns yeah. out something terrible is going to happen to her, but it's not from those guys, it's from other terrible men. What a way um, to leave Morris and Martha too, by the way. Like that. So I guess if we're talking about the movie's two stories, yeah. talking about the Burns brothers and we're talking about Morris and Martha, the fact that we end on the two brothers sitting together, I felt like I cared more about what was going on inside that house than I did about Arthur Burns dying and his brother's love for him because that was never firmly established enough. Yeah, no, you're you're right. And the other thing, I, I, I'm okay with, you know, because it's like, there, you know, there's not a, you know, I, I understand that, you know, it's kind of nice to leave on ambiguity as far as, you know, um, will um, Guy Pierce's uh, Charlie, you know, could Charlie be convinced? Would it matter 
if Morris, you know, was like, you know, if he found out that Morris tried to save his brother, like, you know, he tried to stop the lashings from happening. Um, it doesn't, I mean, no matter what, Charlie saved his life, you know, it's like he came in and did it. They don't have that conversation. It's not like this movie is going to end with them teaming up against yeah. Arthur. So um, the, here's the other thing. Uh, his proposition failed. So, you know, he, he, he seems like a big galaxy brain idea. I'm going to send a brother to kill a brother. Yeah, It failed. And you think it's going to fail because Charlie hears that Mikey got whipped. He do- It doesn't. He doesn't hear that. He doesn't know that until they find until him in the jail him. cell. Yeah. So it just failed because all in the end, he refuses to kill his brother. <laughs> like he right. did, literally just refused to. There's a moment where it seems like he's going to, and he's going to push him off a cliff or something. Or and then there's a mo- another moment where he's got his when gun he out. shoots John Hurt instead yeah. of shooting him. Yeah. But yeah, he just decides not to. So it has nothing to do with Fletcher's decision to have to give Mikey a hundred lashes, which of which he I think he gets thirty nine because hundred lashes is cartoonish. You're going to turn someone into into mush. Right, right, uh, right. Which which you know is pointed out by Morris. Like this is not even though they're like he'll get a hundred lashes and then he'll be hung later. But Morris is like, he's not going to survive this. Yeah. And he doesn't survive 39. No. And and by by the time they're 15 in, everyone's getting like nauseous and like, right, oh, right. it's like, maybe this isn't what we wanted. Oh, the follies of humanity. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's the, the whole structure of the movies. Uh, I will say, I don't think it ultimately works as good as it could have, but I, I think it's interesting just to sit like the fact no, that the I, first yeah, scene I like, I is the proposition and then it, and then the, characters just go on their different paths and their different stories and we learn i like more about how the the things we learn about morris's character and his world and his wife the town i like that stuff way more than what we think is going to be the exciting more exciting one and while there is more violence and bloodshed and bounty hunters and you know people getting mm-hmm. you know speared in the shoulder and stuff like that it's ultimately not the 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 most intriguing part of the movie is the the because guy pierce he does not a lot of dialogue we don't know even that much about his character like is he really a terrible person he seems to really want to kill john hurt's character anything time he says something about bad about the iris so he's somebody who will clearly murder if you if he's insulted right like although he did not... knock him out he could have killed him and he did knock him out that's his own fault he should <laughs> i'm just saying yeah <laughs> you know there there is you know, he could have he could have gone further uh, i also like in this movie from the beginning um you know it's trying to kind of be like a realistic portrayal of this era so i don't think it's making the characters buffoonish it's just showing this is what they're dealing with so it's like guy pierce's gun backfires in his hand in the beginning like they're trying to like you know make do kind of a last stand the two yeah. brothers <laughs> Well, then that one cop shoots his fucking toes off. Like one cop shoots his toes off. Uh, Ray Winstone, when there's that right before that, the gunfire that wakes them up, he he runs into the door and like <laughs> falls down. That. Yeah, yeah. And so you know who like, I wish? You know who I wish did that? Polly. I wish Polly woke up and ran oh, into Rocky's Polly. <laughs> yeah, that feels like a very Polly move that I would have appreciated. <laughs> uh, so it's very much like yeah. Um, it's taking these characters and their you know plight seriously, but it's also being like they're just real people who are fucking up, and yeah, things are things are fucking up around them left and right. So what we can gather from the beginning of this movie, things have come to a head, like a very serious point, because of the murder, the defiling and murder of the family, the Hopkins family. When the wife was pregnant at the time, mm-hmm. the house was burned, and this seems to have put everything in emotion because 
Um, uh, I, I don't know. Do we know if if Charlie and Mikey left after this, if they were a part of it? It doesn't seem like it because Charlie was investigating the it house. It doesn't seem like they were a part of it. Okay. Um, so this is why. But, but again, like, we don't yeah. get it explicitly because because, you know, this is a huge moment in the movie, of course, is Martha, you know, Martha kind of makes it, you know, uh, happen that he gets the lashing because she shows up and it kind of kills Morris's resolve to try to hold them off. But she's doing it because she's she thinks Mikey was part of it. Now, Mikey doesn't say I wasn't there. I mean, he's just, you know, kind of gone. Yeah, like, we don't totally. Know. Yeah, so we, we don't know, even though I doesn't feel like they were there. We just feels like they hadn't seen each other. It feels like they hadn't seen each other in a while. Not right. like that. They just no, exactly. It. it feels like. That's why, and this is why Morris wants Arthur Burns above every everyone else because he did this. Yes, he's an abomination. He's a monster. If I can cut off, if I can actually go to the source of the disease instead of attacking the symptoms, which mm-hmm. is what everyone else wants, I can do this, and I'm going to do the right. secret deal. Makes even though of- again, it's it's murky because you'd think Morris could say to Martha, "He didn't do this. His brother did," you know, but no one says it, so we kind of have to. No one talks. No one communicates well. (laughs) This movie is about a lack of communication. He also makes the mistake of trusting this other guy, Lawrence, like his second in command with this secret. And Lawrence doesn't like him, thinks he's weak, Mm -hmm. wants to fuck his wife, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, But yeah, um, so it's really this Hopkins thing that happened before the movie, off screen, that has set all of this into motion, that has made Arthur Burns sort of public enemy number one, but he's hiding up in the, the caves and the hills that are dangerous or, and, or just impossible to sort of traverse and find him. And that's why the deal gets made. And that's sort of probably why Fletcher, who we don't know what he, I don't know if he's the mayor or just, he's some money, money folk, you know what I mean? Who's like once law and order, once this handled for this community, because it's his, maybe he owns it all. I don't know. And, uh, but that's why he makes the deal. So he's like, I need, but it also seems like he's, at his wits end. We don't know how long he's been tracking these brothers. We don't know. He's right. been gone for three days at this point from home. But before this, seems like the Burns gang was like a big problem in the area. Yeah. And. But then we find out like, yeah, the pressure he's under the 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 amount that he sort of resents his post there and his is the land he has to deal with and the heat. Man, imagine from going from like 55 degrees to you know scorching heat with no yeah. <laughs> with no green around you with no yeah. you know and all the it things that used to desert yeah. lakes and rivers and forests and stuff like that and you're just in you basically um george miller mad max land and my god the bugs which the movie makes oh sure god so much flies flies everywhere yeah Every, on people's hats and ba- the, the whipping scene it's like they're just coated coated it and he wants to civilize this land and he's trying to you know so it it seems like this is a last ditch effort for him because he maybe he maybe he was again we're doing a lot of maybes because the movie doesn't fill in that much for us maybe he started this trying to do things the right way maybe he tried to do things mm-hmm. with sort of the rules of combat and engagement and all the things that he'd be taught as part of you know the British Army uh, but then he realized that that doesn't fly down there and he's got to get uh, unconventional. And keeps it all from Martha, keeps everything of it, doesn't even want her in town. That's the thing. And so she feels trapped. She feels lonely out on this homestead, even though it's got, got, you know, they've tried to curate a garden there and grow things. 
in the in sort of amongst the rocks as much best they can. They have their tea. They even in the midst of everything. So at the end of the movie, when they've sort of sealed up their house expecting a raid, they they insisted upon having like a proper Christmas dinner. You know, like yes. Although kudos that Christmas dinner looked pretty tasty, especially after we were just talking about like like the scene where he gets like eggs and bacon, but it's outside, so there's flies you know flying all around. The the turkey dinner looked pretty tasty. The Christmas dinner. <laughs> Look, I am not a fan of patio seating. Like the, right. the uh, if someone, if a, if a host at a restaurant is like inside or outside, I'm like, how dare you ask me that question? I'm clearly an insert inside boy. Uh, <laughs> so it's their own fault for taking tea outside. Uh, but, that's, that's true. but again, that's what they were used to. They didn't have all the, the flying, uh, flying, you know, pests that they had back in England that, uh, to that degree. And then on top of this also is the sort of awful seething racism that everyone has for the local Aborigines and basically they're also there's like they call them rebel blacks but we don't know what they're actually doing there's a moment when they capture a bunch of them and they're like they accuse them of hiding out and they're like that's just where we live you know we live there this is our land we're not hiding from you we're not you know plotting we're existing we we are here and we this is where we live we live in those areas matt there's a character named jacko (laughs) Jacko on his, he winds up on his backo. <laughs> Prophecy fulfilled. <laughs> oh man. But like Jacko is a big Australian thing, right? Because we're talking also about the Energizer Bunny Jacko. I'm talking about yeah. it as a name. Our no, no, no. listeners and can we, tell we, us. We, did, we yeah. did a run about Jacko in the past uh, for a long time. Wrestlers might remember us talking about 80s uh, celebrity Jacko, who was a, a big buff uh, Brock Lesnar looking dude from Australia. Uh, but it did make me laugh when a character named Jacko. Well, they tried to make a star Australia. here in America on a show called The Highwayman that mm-hmm. lasted only a few episodes. I but believe. mostly he got a lot of Energizer money. Yeah, Energizer uh, Bunny commercial. Uh, Energizer. Yes. It'll surprise you. It'll surprise you. All right. So, yeah, we had a lot of uh, Aussie influence in the 80s. I don't know if you, you know, here in America, you knew if you were alive in the 80s because we had In Excess and Midnight Oil as far as bands. Even before that, there was like uh, Men at Work. But then... Like there was the pop culture stuff. Crocodile Dundee was huge. Paul Hogan was huge. Uh, they tried to make Yahoo serious huge. It did not work. No. Um, yeah. So we had we had uh, a, a heyday of like uh, Australian uh, niche novelties that would come here. Uh, but the bands were great. Man. Uh, now we I just lo- get an influx of beautiful, talented actors who it's not like a real big part of like their on-screen identity because they usually play Americans. They just play Americans. And then when they finally use their uh, Australian accent, uh, Lord, like on, on a red carpet, uh, yeah. Twitter, Twitter, like rakes them over the coals because they're like, remember when people got mad or some idiot fans got mad because Mar- Margot Robbie was using an Australian accent. They're like, Oh, what does she think she's better than us? Like, what does that even mean? <laughs> no, she thinks she grew up in Australia. <laughs> Anyway, um, we're kind of hopping all around here. The movie does just have two parallel stories going. So let's just talk about the Charlie story first uh, or as we go through. We've talked a lot about the Morris stuff already, but like mm-hmm. Charlie basically heads out. Not, not a lot of dialogue in his end. He goes to the Hopkins house first. Maybe he actually does take it all in to help. To A, see what his brother did. Maybe he didn't know. I'm not and sure. And contextually, especially given what he does at the end. And like, it seems like, yeah, I can't, like, I can't let this happen. So yeah. he's like, does he really, we find out at the end that he does actually morally object to it. <laughs> We're yes. not quite yeah. sure until that moment what he's yeah. going to do, honestly. And 
he looks inside, he sees the crib, probably, probably you know, we assume for the baby that had was going to be born, but right. wasn't born. And then he heads out. There's some beautiful night shots of the sky and sort of like the, the Australian outback as he, the, he rides through. He meets uh, Lamb, the bounty hunter. So John Hurt gets to sort of shine in a few scenes at the beginning and end. First, he's John Hurt, yeah, who uh, at this point, I think generationally, a lot of people mostly know him as Ollivander uh, from the Harry Potter movies. Yeah. Uh, obviously, Alien being his other kind of big pop culture claim to fame. But also in a ton of things. He, oh, yeah, yeah. He, uh, and he, but and then, he's great in this. I, I really it, like him in this movie. Him also echoing here uh, British racism, not just toward uh, the Aborigines, though, toward the Irish as well. You know, like this, just the general British hates all forms of foreigners, no matter what. And, and then he has an interesting run about Darwin because he's read Darwin and the idea that Darwin's saying, you know, not only are we all genetically connected as humans, but then we're all descended from apes. Yeah, he doesn't even. Yeah, he doesn't. Which um, which he doesn't seem to dismiss as much as maybe has a racist kind of think. Isn't that the big cosmic joke? You know, like I hate I, these people, but we're all supposed to all be related. Man, I think he actually gets Darwin's theory correct, which most people don't. Which yeah. not to not to call you out, but most people are like, we're not de- we're descended from apes. That's not what Darwin said. We and apes, and to various degrees, bonobos and chimpanzees and so forth, we all share a common ancestor. We did whatever, Mister Scientist. Now you're right, <laughs> but I'm saying that like he, I think he gets it. I think he says. Darwin, first of all, Darwin says we're all equal as humans, which Blam does not believe. And then he's like, and then he says that we share a descendant with apes or monkeys. Right. So he was actually kind of correct, but he still doesn't believe that either. Like he's, he's. I I couldn't tell if it's that he doesn't believe it or like he just thinks, isn't that, isn't that hysterical? Like, you know, it kind of like it, maybe it broke him a little bit, you know, because. Who's to say he's drunk? You know, what, I don't know what he believes. I don't know what Charlie believes. Because, either. because you know, because yeah. the reason I think he maybe does believe it is he says he no longer believes in God. Is like, it's like, you know, the whole thing that used to be religious, now not. So it almost feels like maybe he does believe it, but but because he's, a, you know, just a, a racist going around bounty hunting, he's like, isn't that fucked up? There's an element of this movie that sort of makes you feel like it's Apocalypse Now or heart of darkness the story yes. that that movie is based on now that you is, say that i completely say that <laughs> yeah yeah there's an element that makes you think it's going to go that direction and that when charlie meets his brother so he knocks lamb out because he realizes lamb is a bounty hunter after his brother and then you you think and then even from the aborigines they capture they're like they call him a dog man and he's like turns into a dog so they already have this like mythos going around him this right. lore i thought there'd be a callback i didn't think it was going to be a supernatural movie but i was surprised that never kind of really came back the, the whole... he has a dog that's all that we see is a the, very the, sweet dog who's just laying with him yeah <laughs> and it's like the fact that it said so they i guess people think he turns into this dog i suppose yeah. and so we're expecting some like larger than life danny houston's great but we're expecting someone who's kind of gone off the deep end a bit or like mm-hmm. has some weird new philosophy about life or he set up some weird commune or and it's not it's kind of not that he's just a guy in a cave with a couple people and he doesn't really have like he hasn't turned into like a full nihilist and he hasn't turned into some sort of like guy who thinks he's a god right this is right. what we're sort of expecting like a joseph conrad sort of uh, journey into you know the 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 dark crevices of the human soul and it doesn't go that way he just finds arthur who's happy to see his brother yet also we're suspicious of because we think he might be suspicious of 
Charlie, the way he asks so much about Molly, the fake girlfriend he makes up for Mikey and stuff like that. It doesn't, it never leads to anything like that. So there's sort of a, it, it's a little deflating uh, because I, you expect I, I, I it, but it's fine. Idea, yeah. Because I, I respect the idea. I just do think we needed a couple more scenes to fill it in because, because we meet him. He's not gone off the deep end openly. He's also like, we're a family, this group. And he loves his doggy and he cares for his men as best he can. Now that's going to be, of course, the, the, the turn then is, oh no, remember, he's going to brutally beat Ray Winstone and then like watch and, you know, just sit casually while his man rapes this woman in front of him. And then he's going to kill them both. We are pretty sure. So I get that. It's like, wants to do this counterpoint. I just think it doesn't quite get there of like making that all connect, especially because like we've said, we don't know the history with him and Charlie. So we, it's we, like, so we don't know if he's always been like, right. This. Right. We don't know if he changed over the years, changed mm-hmm. recently. Uh, we don't know if it's sort of a Red Dead Redemption 2 scenario, which is like if you played the game, there's a there's a leader of a gang called Dutch who changes as the game goes on and you start to dis- disagree with his tactics. And it could be it could be traced as fan theories. It could be traced to the fact that he got a concussion during a, a specific like sort of bank robbery escape. And that ever since that moment, because of his head trauma, he starts becoming more and more erratic and irrational and violent and that but that's not here we don't even say like charlie never says well after what you did at this place or that place you know mikey and i it wasn't safe with us and we didn't agree none of that's addressed so it's like it's we all have to fill it in and it's not quite as effective as it could be Mm -hmm. um because like i say yeah i I like what's set up here and i think it it to me it's not innately deflating that he's not like what you know, like finding him the way we do. I'm like, this is interesting. It just felt like they didn't they didn't complete the circle on you know what what the deal was. Um, by the time we get to him committing these awful acts, which kind of because honestly, I was even waiting for I was waiting for a bigger reveal on what happened to that family because it was a little murky. You know, were they going to say it wasn't them at all? Were they going to say that all three brothers were there? You know, like, like there's just so much. We but find because, out it yeah. was like the awful cops, you know? Like, right, right. Know. There's a yeah, because that, that we don't come back to that. And like you're saying, yeah, we don't know if this is the man he's always been and Charlie just had enough or if Charlie's like has to face the fact that this is who his brother has become. Um, um, as yeah. as Gen Z would say, this movie uh, is a vibe, Eric, uh, <laughs> yes. which is which is that like. In the midst of it, there's whispers. I think some of it's said by, or all of it's said by Guy Pierce of like this poem, but it's actually song lyrics from a Nick yes. Cave song from the movie called The Rider. You know, it's, 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 uh, uh, leads to the ethereal nature of this movie and sort of, um, the ponderous existential elements involved with, you know, existing out in this harsh climate and realm at the, at this particular time. And yeah, and it, and it paints, it aims to paint sort of a very uh, grotesque is the wrong word, but there's a grimy element here uh, that's, you know, with the set, the sets, the mud, the dirt on everyone, like nothing, nothing is clean. Nothing is innocent. Uh, and that's why I think Martha stands out as somebody who, when she's sort of like goes through the town, everyone rejects completely, you know, right, right. Uh, because, she's important and has money and uh, has can look at fancy dress catalogs like to ease her anxiety she's looking at these dress catalogs at one point Mm -hmm. 
Um, but yeah, although yeah, yeah, doesn't seem like a bad person. I should mention by the way, Emily Watson, who you know, yeah, just, just innately like I don't know, interesting actress, and I I didn't know she was in this movie, and I was happy to see her in this movie. Yeah, so she made a uh, she her nine she made a big breakout in the nineties with what was it Breaking the Waves was her mm-hmm. big movie that she came through, and then she was basically she was in a ton of movies ever since then. The most recent only thing- a couple of times though where they like big America like Punch Truck Love and Red Dragon. Like she'll pop mostly, you know, British movies and smaller movies. And then a couple of times she'll pop up in uh, bigger stuff. I believe the last thing I saw her in was Chernobyl, but it, mm-hmm. I could be wrong. And she's uh, one of the leads in the Dune series that's coming to Max. Oh, is that right? Okay, mm-hmm. that's cool. Okay. Dune series. Still Dune after all these years. <laughs> that's right. Don't uh, ever I think Dune she it. got a. Oh, and she was in the boxer too. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. Yeah, a lot of stuff. So she knows what it's like to work with Sir Daniel Day Lewis. <laughs> she does. All right. Um, let's see. Yeah, it, I lose track here, much like the movie does, which is uh, oh, okay. So over on the Burns end of things, there's a moment where it seems like he might be pushing Arthur off the cliff, but it isn't. But but this is also because he was like it's in a very sort of shocking, jarring scene. He's a spear is thrown through his shoulder and then uh instantly... I wanted to mention how much that yeah. got like I was like, holy yeah. because I was watching this like like I said on my laptop in bed in the dark and yeah. I went oh like the 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 one two punch of the spear through guy pierce and then the guy who threw the spear getting his head blown and his off. guy had had exploded because uh he saved almost instantly in that moment by the burns gang who is now nursing him back to health so he they saved his life and again so he has to decide on top of everything after saving his life is he going to kill his brother we do think he does have a, a love for. And I think, but you know, just mentioning that moment again, just it, it, it's very effective when a movie is not wall to wall, people's heads being blown off when it just happens. You know, well, I it's think like, that, I think that, you know, obviously I go to Tarantino as somebody who sort of like ushered that in in a popular way, as far as like a lot of talking, a lot of quiet, and then just sort of a, abrupt moments of violence that are very gory. Uh, obviously, you know, I shot Marvin in the face, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, this, this movie has uh, a couple instances of that because it is, it is very quiet for long periods of time. And then the violence is very quick. Mm-hmm. And, um, even something like when Lamb recaptures him at the end, and then you just hear the gunshot and stuff falling out, but yeah, he doesn't have an easy time. I also wanted to bring up the fact that I, we didn't mention this already on his journey to see his brother. There's a moment where he's just out in the the open and he just smells his armpits. Like he sticks his hands in his armpits <laughs> and then just sniffs them. And I was like, that's a very Mary Catherine Gallagher thing to do. Um, it's also a, a very Kevin Klein in A Fish Called Wanda thing to do. Oh, he smells his pits in that. Yeah. Yeah. He, he just, full <laughs> on, he just uh, sticks his nose down there. Um, and then, uh, so yeah, he makes up a lie about Mikey meeting a girl. Arthur, we feel, doesn't believe it. It's a nice back and forth when Arthur fucks up the name to Just try to, to catch him, catch him yeah. but it doesn't work. You know, they're playing this little back and forth because he remembers the right fake name to correct him back. And then basically from there, the burn story is, I think we already mentioned it. Uh, he doesn't, uh, he decides ba- when Lamb tries to capture him, he's saved again by his brother. Uh, but at this point, uh, does that happen after or before he they kill Lawrence and Jacko? Okay, this is before. It's before. after. It's after. Oh, so is they're it returning. After? Yeah, yeah. They're returning 
That's right. They come back and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but but in the meantime, they actually went out because uh, he was looking for a horse for his brother, and they find all of the cops that basically. In anger, Morris sent Lawrence because he knows Lawrence ratted him out to Fletcher about the proposition. He sends him and the everyone else basically to just go kill Aborigines. <laughs> He's like, you go out there because yeah. that's what uh, Fletcher wants. Sent him out there, but then he doesn't realize he's actually sent him out to die because Arthur Burns stumbles upon him and stomps his head in, uh, kills him, kills Jacko. But also is told directly... That so Charlie before, was sent to kill yeah, before he uh, he's killed, Lawrence tells him Charlie was sent to kill you, and this is when he Arthur doesn't completely like he never. I don't think he ever conf- confronts him about it. I think he uh, when when he saves him from Lamb, there's a moment where he has the gun behind Arthur, but he shoots Lamb instead because uh, you know he he could have just shot him and with Arthur never saying anything, but he's he I think he trusts his brother not to do it. In a mm-hmm. sort of a, an arrogant uh, guy who lives in a cave type way, uh, but then then they go back. So the whole thing is not only would Mikey's death ruin the deal, but Morris is absolutely afraid that once word gets out that Mikey's die is dead or has been even has been hurt or yeah. beaten or abused that the Burns gang would come down on him and his wife. And so that's Mm -hmm. the big thing he's trying to protect everyone from his wife from, but nobody seems to care. And she doesn't even seem to understand the full breadth of it because he doesn't share things with her. So she doesn't know about the deal. So she's like, um, yeah, whip this guy. I mean, he doesn't, you know, he's like, no, but don't you see if we do this, they're going to come and they're going to beat us and rape us. So, but he instantly just takes her home after the, the whipping scene again. Everyone lose their tastes for it really fast because it's brutal and disgusting and cruel. And even the most bloodthirsty town fo- townsfolk are like, all right, uh, I've had enough. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She faints. He takes her home. He sort of basically resigns or is fired and hands the bloody whip to Fletcher. And then the, he goes home basically to prepare for death, kind of, or at least a lot of violence. And he, you know, closes all the windows and puts furniture in front of the doors and decides he's going to have a nice Thanksgiving feast. But they have a nice Christmas, no Christmas, they or, have a nice Christmas. Yeah. Tree. Christmas feast. Well, the other thing was, is that if he's having a Christmas feast, is it early? I don't know. We don't know how long Christmas he, he told initially, he told Charlie. Was a have, nine, day nine days. Countdown. Yeah. yeah. Nine days. I assume this is Christmas Eve when they're having that dinner. So even if Mikey didn't get flogged, Mikey was supposed to be hanged on Christmas. So either way, some form of reciprocity is coming if it's not Charlie with Arthur's head, you know, like yeah, something's going to come down on them. Obviously he feels like the deal is, is gone bad because <laughs> no dead Arthur at this point. So they're prepared for something. Uh, they're going to enjoy a nice meal before they're killed. And, but then, so yeah, then the Burns gang does ride out. Nothing is said to Charlie by Arthur about him knowing that he was going to kill him, right? Like they, he never mm-hmm. brings it up. They just ride in, but then they kill all the guards in the prison. They decapitate them. Yeah. Uh, but then they do the Chewbacca trick too, by the way, they do the thing where they oh, yeah, have a prisoner is. with the one Aboriginal member of their gang. Yeah. They pretend like they're bringing him in and they're wearing the soldiers outfits and they come through town and it gets them into the prison and then they kill everyone. 
and head out S- to save Mikey. But of course, he's on death's door. So he dies. They bury him under rocks. And well, only Charlie. Charlie cries. Him. So that's the yeah. thing. As uh, Arthur and then this younger guy, Samuel, goes out to um, the Stanley's homestead. He uh, he's mourning. Uh, Charlie is mourning Mikey. And that's why he comes in late and uh, also upset because it doesn't seem at all like Arthur cares about Mikey. Even when he's like, Mikey's set to hang, he mm-hmm. starts telling him Mikey's in danger. It doesn't seem like Arthur cares at all. Mm-hmm. So Arthur's family above all uh, type mentality doesn't seem to extend to the people who are actually his family. It seems to extend to like weird people he's found. Right, right. And there, you know, there's also a little bit of a juxtaposition here because Mikey is pretty much portrayed as like, you know, an innocent as much as he can be an innocent. Or a simpleton. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's, you know, and and it's certainly a sympathetic manner because he's just kind of abused, whipped, beaten. Maybe like a a Lenny from an of Mice and Men type character. And there, but there's a counterpoint to that with Samuel, who's like the young guy on um, Arthur's group who has a beautiful singing voice and goofy moments but then turns out to be a horrific rapist oh he's Um, terrible yeah so again and again i mean i do think this is obviously purposeful to kind of like because even though they've done you know they decapitated people and all this stuff it was people that they were in this sort of like war with and we haven't seen them do this sort of awful depravity to someone who doesn't deserve it i guess again i know we're repeating ourselves just because we don't know the history of what charlie witnessed when he was a member of this gang we just don't know if this was all new to him or not that this is how far that they would take things yeah and at the end he says something like no more or it ends here i can't remember Mm -hmm. what he says but it yeah so this was the line in the sand for charlie it just wasn't made clear from a character standpoint until the moment at the end uh because we don't know what the history of the brothers were or the gang was and we don't know any of that uh the movie could have done better to sort of fill us in on that but it is a very shocking ending leaving a completely horribly uh, abused, beaten and traumatized couple inside the house. Yeah. Uh, who alive, knows? Alive, who knows if but, Morris but will survive? Yeah. Things, yeah. Who knows? Like, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. I guess, I guess we're wondering at the end of the movie, we're supposed to wonder anyhow, what is Charlie going to do when he walks in the house and he sees Morris beaten and bloody there? What's he going to do? I don't think there's a real question because we we're naturally, the movie leans us towards him being somebody who would not engage with this mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. would actively stop it. We just, it's just isn't clear, but I think it's, it is there, but it's, it's not explicit. So anyway, he walks in, he shoots Samuel right in the head uh, and then shoots his brother in the gut twice and leaves Morris and Martha inside with their fates unknown uh, alive but then he goes and sits with his brother. Again, I care more about the homestead than I do the brother relationship because it was never established what it was. Yeah, it's it's a cool, it's a implicitly, um, it works as an image, obviously. Yeah. It's over, but I, yeah, because we don't have the emotional backstory. And it's funny because Arthur's final thing is to ask Charlie, you know, what your next move is. Movie's not going to answer that question because it wants to end on an ambiguous note. But because we have this couple inside the house who also, what is their next move? Because again, you do think in the, in the broader picture, um, no one ever agreed to the pardon of Charlie, except for Morris. Morris doesn't even have his job anymore. 
So Charlie's still going to be like, you know, a fugitive. Uh, you know, it's like, are, are the three of them on the run together? Like, we you know, it's like, also, by no the idea. way, was Morris ever going to hold up his end of the bargain? Because it seems I feel like, like he was. I, right. I, I but, 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 but with not without pushback, right? Because they're yeah. going to be like, oh, could he have actually done I that? I was saying, yeah. like, I think he wanted you to. But you can't, the, they were so upset that he set one of them free. The fact that they were going to be like, Oh, and I've pardoned two of these guys. Like th- that was yeah. never going to fly. <laughs> like <laughs> it was never going to fly, even though I think he naively wanted it to work. Um, but yeah, um, it wasn't going to work. So yeah, it, it, the, even though the movie ends uh, explicitly on the question of what Charlie's next move is, <laughs> what's going to happen to the Stanley couple is uh, yeah, maybe even a, because Charlie in theory will go back to being the fugitive. He was when the movie began, the Stanleys are the people whose lives have been completely, you know, blown up from where, where they were. I hope he goes and he rescues that dog and he just lives oh, in the yeah. cave with the dogs. Yeah. I'm going to believe dog? he did. Yeah. I need to believe right. he did. That is our Guy Pierce run, everybody. But yeah, this is uh, this movie. Like, you know, we've talked, we've talked about the, the flaws of this movie. I did like the movie, though. Like, I did. Yeah, yeah I, I did too. I did totally, too. I, I, yeah. uh, performance wise, I was into it. I just think that, that yeah, that core, the Burns Brothers history, I wish they just fleshed in, fleshed up more. Yeah. All right. Agreed. Okay. Uh, yeah, Merry getting... Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everybody. Hope you have a, a equally delightful feast. And uh, no, yeah, we're going to get into better. some uh, some holiday fare again. Probably Christmas. Uh, maybe a little Toyota thon. Not sure. But yeah, we're going to get into some holiday. Toyota thon? What? <laughs> Talking about big holiday, uh, th- you know, December holidays, Eric. Oh, Toyota thon's okay. huge. <laughs> okay. You and your war against Toyota thon. That's true. Okay. So. Uh, yeah, so next week, Anna and the Apocalypse, not versus the Apocalypse. I think it's and, yes. Anna and the Apocalypse for next week, and then more holiday delights to follow. Uh, until next time, everything is possible, but nothing is real, and Shockma. Shockma! Shockma!